Welcome to Ghost Notes, the podcast that looks at music from inside and out. I'm Corey. I'm a music theorist. I make the YouTube channel 12 Tone. And I am Noah. I'm a music YouTuber. I make the YouTube channel Polyphonic. And this week we're going to talk about a topic that is near and dear to both of our hearts uh, because we both have a lot of thoughts about it. Genre. What are genres? Are they even real? Do they matter? S- spoiler alert. No. Yeah. <laughs> No, but also, yes, it's complicated. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. A lot of this conversation is kind of inspired by a video that you did, Corey, talking about genre on 12 Tone. Can you kind of uh, just give us a little bit about what that video was and, and, and also maybe like why you decided to make it? Yeah, so that video was sort of inspired by a longtime frustration of mine. Like when I was younger, I was really adamantly on the like genre doesn't exist, genre doesn't matter, it's nothing, stop talking about it side of things, which is still not far from where I am. I think a lot of that came ultimately from the fact that I never really felt like I was identifying it particularly well. Like I, it didn't really feel like it was impacting my experience of music. So like And this is the thing I should probably clarify at the front when I'm talking about my perceptions and my experiences and whatnot. I'm autistic. That's going to affect the way my brain works. Uh, This may not be relatable to all of you, but it informs my experience. So one thing that I'm not particularly good at and I've never been particularly good at is approximation. Like there's the easiest way to think about it is like distances. Like I am really bad at like guessing how long something is i have no intuitive sense of what a foot or an inch or anything is and in the same way like when you think about genres like genres are basically approximating musical sound like it's a way of saying like this artist sounds like this other cluster of artists or at least that that's the way it was often used in my experience as a as a kid i never really cared about that and it never really felt like it meant anything and then what really sparked the genre video was About a year before I made it, I did a video about The Trooper by Iron Maiden, and I was talking about the new wave of British heavy metal. Mm. And in my list of bands that were part of that movement, I included Def Leppard because they they are like, that's historically accurate. But I got a bunch of people being like, whoa, how could you say that? They're clearly not new wave British heavy metal. They're a completely different thing. And it's like, no, they're not. I did my research. At the time, they were considered part of the movement. They were very clearly in the same sort of style as like Iron Maiden. But at some point, they decided to go off and evolve and become pioneers in glam metal, effectively. Yeah. And so nowadays, when we think of Def Leppard, we think like, pour some sugar on me. And that's that doesn't sound like Maiden. And so I can see where that comes from. But I, my reaction to that was like, well, but who cares? Like, why is this that, that important to you? And so I sat down to make a video that was like, genre doesn't matter. And as always happens when I sit down to make a video about a complex topic, the more I thought about it, the more nuanced it became and i started to realize that genre isn't real wasn't in and of itself a complete and cohesive argument and so it started developing and i wound up with basically like a three-pronged model of genre when we're talking about genre we're sort of talking about three different things simultaneously right we're talking about compositional practice which is sort of which things sound like other things but we're also talking about culture And we're also talking about history, right? One of the examples I like to think of is as a metalhead, when I think of like modern metal, if Iron Maiden hadn't existed when they did, and they instead came out today, we might not really consider them metal. We might consider them more in line with sort of the hard rock movement. And and I think a great example of that, actually, like exactly that is Led Zeppelin, because in Led Zeppelin's day, they were considered heavy metal. They were called a heavy metal band regularly. But nowadays, nobody would consider Zeppelin metal, right? Yeah. And that's just, you just have this sense that what metal was at the time isn't what metal is now. And so you sort of have to be able to take that longer view and look at those two separate phenomena, but like you have to sort of incorporate them into one idea. And I think that the main thing that happens when people talk about genre is that they sort of move back and forth between these three different modalities without really recognizing that they're doing it. And so they sort of think when you say like Def Leppard isn't new wave of British heavy metal, you're talking about it from a modern cultural perspective or from later compositional practice, but historically they are. And it's not necessarily wrong to say that they are more in glam metal because again, that's what we remember of them. And that's a lot of what they did for much longer. But it's also right to say that they were part of the new wave of British heavy metal because they were. Again, historically they were. That's just that's just a fact. This is why I was really interested in particular to have a conversation with you because your three-pronged approach kind of we each take different parts of those prongs in our expertise, where your expertise is theory and compositional practice, and my expertise is more like 
cultural history. So I think between the two of us, I think uh, we kind of, we hit on all aspects of that in yeah. our understandings of music. At the same time, I think my personal thoughts on genre are, I think it's something that is dying, maybe? Or is disappearing or once served a function that it no longer serves and i think a big reason for that is technology and just uh access to music where in my mind it used to be if you want to go into a record store and you say you like pink floyd and you want to go into a record store and find something new you like the genre categories are kind of your best guide to finding that. And in a lot of ways, they kind of still are. But but nowadays, there's so many more avenues for finding and understanding new music. So I think a lot of the necessity of genre is fast going obsolete. So you're framing it around the record store. I might also frame it around the record label. Because like back in the day, it was really hard to distribute and to make music beyond just like, you know, playing in your living room that would reach a lot of people. And so you had to really convince a label to fund your career effectively. Yeah. And so in order to do that, you sort of had to convince them that what you were doing was not only good, but that it would sell. And a lot of creative industries tend to be fairly conservative in terms of what they'll put out there. So they tended to latch on to things that were already selling. Like if you sound like this, these artists that are already getting a lot of attention, then maybe you'll you'll fit in with that crowd too. And we know that crowd wants to spend money. And so you get this, this effect that pushes mainstream artists to sound not the same. I don't want to imply like homogeneity. Like uh, yeah. if you listen to like music from the 70s, homogenous is not the word I would use to describe it. But like there was this push towards like stratification and genrefication where you wanted to have people who sounded, who fit into the same mold and who could appeal to the same groups. Whereas these days, it's not like you still need decent equipment to do good recording, but like to do decent recording, it's not that expensive and distribution is basically free if you do it online. So like people can get their music to you w without having to prove that they're like someone else that you already like. Like this is related to what we talked about last time where, you know, recommendation algorithms can have trouble sort of like taking things that are disparate, but that you might like both of and trying to fit them both together. But now like I can just send you a YouTube link to a thing that popped up in my subscription feed and not so you know, you know yeah. how YouTube works. Yeah. I don't have to explain YouTube to you, but like, uh, but I can just send you a video that I found or that a friend sent me, like a friend of mine recommended recently that I check out a hundred gecks. And it was like, this is really interesting and not anything that I would listen to normally, but like, I really liked it. Well, and, and I think it's interesting because I think you're completely dead on with the label there. And because of the kind of collapse of this model of distribution, what we've had recently is more and more kind of blending of these genres. I had a uh, I had a musicology prof in college who said that the last truly new genre was EDM and that everything since then, every new kind of musical movement is just mixing and matching all of these different existing genres and and I think increasingly you're seeing it blended into a big like genre bouillabaisse, you know, where there's a genre, I guess, that I call um, tiny desk core, uh, yep. <laughs> which is just cool artists that play. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of NPR's tiny desk, but there's all these weird artists like Red Barat who play like Bangra punk jazz or like Moon Hooch who do EDM jazz. And, and, and there's <laughs> all of these artists that kind of are, are just taking... All these disparate, and, and there are these kind of distinct things, whether it's a cultural aesthetic or whether it's like a theoretical framework. For example, like the blues, the pentatonic blues scales and uh, and like 12 bar structures and things like that are very inherent to the blues. But then what you see is you see people kind of taking the 12 bar blues and transposing it into, I don't offhand have an example of this, but let's say someone takes that 12-bar blues and does a hip-hop song that's a 12-bar blues with a beat that samples a harmonica. I, I, I think that's a lot of where our modern kind of, where genre is starting to fail us is the way that there are so many really brilliant artists mixing all of these different genres together. Yeah, and you sort of see like a feedback loop on that too, because like, 
if you have all these artists who start out in very different genre camps and who just aren't really exposed to each other's music, then they're all going to like sound not the same again. But like they're they're going to have similar musical vocabularies. And then, you know, if you open up the distribution a little bit, people start to hear from other genres and maybe they start to take a couple things that they're inspired by. So maybe a jazz musician starts borrowing a little bit from hip hop or maybe a rock musician does a little bit of EDM stuff. And then as you do that, that starts to become the new norm. And then, you know, the jazz musicians who haven't started incorporating stuff will maybe start borrowing instead of from rock from that rock EDM blend. And then you'll have the jazz rock EDM. And so you get more and more blending because the things that people are drawing from are already more and more blended. I think this is I think this is a reason why a lot of these weird blended genres have some aspect of jazz in it, because this is something that jazz has basically been doing since the 60s, basically since kind of like bitches brew and since the growth of jazz fusion, like after kind of bebop ended, jazz fusion turned into this thing where it just started devouring other genres and whatever was cool from other genres was just taken and thrown into jazz and became a part of jazz and then you've got jazz rock and jazz hip-hop and now you've got uh, an, an increasing number of uh, like the Comet is Coming and Moon Hooch and all of these guys are doing what I would call jazz EDM using a lot of the cool things about EDM like the idea of the drop and a lot of these things are suddenly being used within a jazz framework. And I think I think it's really interesting. And I think part of that is just what happens when a genre is older, because like you were kind of saying there, there's a generation of people who grew up listening to Miles Davis grabbing aspects of psychedelic rock and throwing them into jazz. And then they grew up playing that My Miles Davis stuff and they looked around and saw, well, what's going on around me? What can I throw into jazz? And so I, I, I think modern jazz especially is this really, really, I, I think it's kind of a, a microcosm of where all genres are, are going, where it's just, it's impossible to really properly put a finger on and define because it's made up of so many disparate parts brought together. Yeah, I think like the other main place that I sort of see that coming from is because obviously like jazz has its thing of like, oh, well, what's what's clever? What can I take that's interesting? But I think the other place that you'll see that coming from or that I see that coming from is pop, because that's sort of yes. grabbing a different aspect of things. It's grabbing like what of this is popular because pop more than really any other style needs to constantly evolve, right? Or not more than any other style. Like it, it has this like drive to reinvent itself because like what was cool a year ago is last year's cool thing. And so we now have to move on. And so you get this this constant churn effectively. Like I, I churn that may have a negative connotation. I don't mean that negatively, but like you have this constant drive for like innovation within safe spaces, which is this weird yeah. sort of dynamic. And so like it's so often a lot of pop songs like like EDM pop was really big for a while. Like I don't hear it as much anymore, but a lot of pop songs were just borrowing electronic elements. Yeah, because that was a way to sort of like take a thing that was getting big and suddenly and make it pop. And, and recently uh, trap beats. So many pop songs have trap beats because trap was yeah. really big. And I think it's interesting because I think as a genre, pop is a genre that's super weird and maybe exists outside of the paradigm you've set up because if you want to trace the lineage of pop it's a genre that's not necessarily defined as much musically like technically speaking at least in their day frank sinatra the beatles and billy eilish are all pop bands yeah or pop acts i guess billy eilish and frank sinatra aren't bands but <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I think sort of like part of why I sort of like that three prong framework is that you can sort of look at that as being like the culture of pop doesn't value holding on to its history in the way that a lot of musical cultures do. There is a set of compositional practices that defines modern pop, but like 20 years from now, what was pop today won't really will have other names for it. And so pop just sort of lets go in a way that most genres don't. And that doesn't. And I think you can sort of go back and listen again to, like you said, to that history and try and be like, okay, well, Frank Sinatra was a pop singer. And yeah, he was. But like, if I was talking like, oh, I'm really into pop music. Yeah. You, you wouldn't send me my way. You wouldn't be like, oh, you'll love this. It's just like, that's not what pop means anymore. Because again, like, if you look at jazz, jazz is constantly evolving. It's constantly doing no things. 
but it's also very much holding on to its roots. It's holding on to bebop. It's holding on to like like big band stuff. Yeah, uh, at least of like you, you don't see as much big band these days, but you, you know what I mean. Uh, but you see that as as a part of jazz, like an important part of the history of jazz, and that matters. We we look at like Miles Davis or John Coltrane, which I, yeah, I'm I'm mixing things. Those I'm not saying they're big band. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. we look back at them and just like those are jazz. Those are the like among the jazz greats. And but like if you look back at like Sinatra, you don't think of him as among the pop greats. You don't think of the Beatles as among the pop greats. You think of them as rock, and you think of like Sinatra as swing because they've sort of those aspects of what pop was have sort of been released. I, I think it's interesting because I think specifically with pop as a genre, in my mind, there is kind of a point, like in my mind, kind of at Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson is still described as pop, even though his pop is very different. And in a lot of ways, I think the lineage of our modern conception of pop, and I think culturally as well, just with the huge pop icon, I think a lot of our conceptions of pop really kind of, uh stem from michael jackson especially kind of like like thriller and bad era michael jackson and i think a lot of pop is still kind of living living in this shadow created in the 80s by michael jackson and madonna and it's interesting because i completely agree with you i think in 20 years what we call pop is going to be very different but i wonder if if we're still going to be looking back and calling michael jackson pop because even now we're still calling michael jackson pop we don't really have anything else anything else that we call him it's kind of weird for me to hear you say that because i think you're not wrong right like if i hear you say michael jackson is pop my response is like yeah that that sounds right but like if you asked me what genre michael jackson was i would tell you he was r&b yeah but like that that's the label that i have associated with him but when you were saying that i was sort of thinking back to like you know, 90s boy bands and whatnot. And those I still like, I don't have a better word to describe what they were doing than pop. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, now I'm now I'm trying to think like, I can't really see like, maybe like Neo Soul, but not really like, <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I mean, you could just I boy band is a genre sort of in yeah. my head, you know, so it's just like, yeah, they the boy bands, they were playing boy band music, right? And And I think this is another thing about genre. And I think this is where a lot of the kind of like, dissonance between the way we approach it and say the people who are getting upset at you for calling Def Leppard uh British heavy metal is I think people act as if genre is like kind of a, a a stable pillar but it's really a contextual thing like I think a lot of the time what we understand as a genre really depends on the conversation we're having together and it depends on the backdrops that we're bringing and if you and I are having a conversation about metal and what's going on in metal right now, Led Zeppelin isn't relevant. But if we're having a conversation about early metal bands, you actually can't really have a conversation about early metal bands without calling Led Zeppelin metal because that's just how they were viewed at the time. Yeah. I mean, you can. You can just talk about Black Sabbath. That's like yeah, 90% of it, like conversations on early metal are just like Black Sabbath. But it's, Well, it's that, that was, yeah, I mean... <laughs> That was my, when I did my video on like the birth of metal, I was like, there are all of these things that you can say might have been metal, but Black Sabbath is where it definitively, you cannot say anything later than that is the birth of metal. Yeah. Which is so interesting because especially Black Sabbath's early albums are just loud blues rock. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like, I actually did a video about the etymology of heavy metal, like where that term came from. And in that, I was sort of was finding like, you know, back in the day, like the the, uh, the term that like Black Sabbath, or at least I think Bill Ward preferred, was downer rock. Like it wasn't even metal. Like metal rock. came later. And there's like, and obviously like their, their style evolved too. Like that's not necessarily, that doesn't necessarily apply to later Sabbath in the way that it applied to early Sabbath. But like, the sense that what they were doing was fundamentally different in some way from the rock movement wasn't there. It sort of it developed over time and we can look back at it now and say like, okay, well, that that was metal. Like clearly, like you said, you cannot put any point after Black Sabbath as the birth of metal. It just doesn't make sense. It clearly existed then. It may not have existed before, depending on where you want to draw lines. But you can't like zoom forward and be like, yeah, no, Iron Maiden invented metal. It didn't yeah. exist before then because it's like, no. No, come on. This is something that I'm also really, really, really interested in. And I've kind of explored in a couple videos. Recently, I did it in my Buddy Bolden video 
or also kind of in my sister Rosetta Tharp is these like these moments where a bunch of disparate ideas that are related coalesce into something that we call a new genre. And I think at the time, nobody is aware of that. Like Buddy Bolden, nobody called jazz jazz until 20 years after Buddy Bolden was uh, like like committed to a mental institution. It, It just it didn't really get its name until later just like metal like it's not like it's not like when sabbath released master of reality people were like oh yeah this is a metal album um i'm I'm just really kind of fascinated in the way that these things coalesce and what the kind of starting point is because it's really interesting with something like hip-hop you can look at hip-hop and the earliest parts of hip-hop begin in disco they begin in the late 70s but then when we think of like early hip-hop we think of like late 80s, early 90s, like a decade after the kind of foundations of the genre are coalescing. I think it kind of goes back to what you were saying before about like EDM being the last like new genre and everything else being remake, like blending and remixes after that is like, we kind of don't know, right? Yeah. Like, are, are we at a point where like Black Sabbath has been released, but no one calls it metal yet? I've, I've never considered that. Yeah, that's a really interesting thought. Thanks. I try to have at least one of those a day. <laughs> I, I I try to have at least one a year. So you're you're way ahead <laughs> of me. <laughs> Never said I succeeded. I think I think it's interesting too because I think in these moments where things are coalescing, it really shows the flaws in how attached people are to genre. Because I think it makes sense. A lot of people put a lot of personality and a lot of their personal worth into the music they listen to. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but a lot of the time I think it can create this kind of myopic in-group versus out-group kind of dynamic, and genre is a battleground where that really, really plays out. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that that's, if you look back again to the Def Leppard thing, I think that's a lot of what was happening. Wasn't people who were mad at me for being historically inaccurate. They were mad at me because they liked the new wave of British heavy metal and they didn't like Def Leppard. And so they were mad that I was putting the two things together. And so they they had this attached like, ooh, glam metal is bad reaction. And this like uh, new wave British heavy metal is the greatest heavy metal ever recorded. And then when you come in and be like, well, Def Leppard was part of the movement, they have to sort of reconcile that in a way that they're not comfortable with. And the easier response is to tell me that I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, you're completely right. I'm not still salty about that two <laughs> years later. Don't worry about it. <laughs> My my favorite example of this historically is the mods versus the rockers in the 60s, which was this like huge war where all mod bands and all quote unquote rocker bands today are just considered the same. They're just 60s rock like they're all considered homogenous. And there were like straight up like gang fights over this. And of course, there was also other aspects like, I mean, fashion was a big thing that played in. And I think that's something that people kind of underrate uh, how important fashion is to music genres and how important the aesthetic is. It's not just what you're hearing. It's it's the whole of it. As someone whose job is to like take music-related ideas and represent them in pictures, the fact that genres have associated looks is just so essential for what I do. Like, I can draw a punk elephant. I can draw an yeah. elephant with a mohawk and a nose ring, and you know what I'm talking about, you know what that is. Or I can like draw like uh one with like a bandana and like big like poofy hair. And you're like, oh, that's that's hair metal. Yeah. And you can get all these associations because you have these visual associations because again it comes back to like genre is a culture, right? Like it's much more that than it is a sound. I think it's really interesting again to go at like genres coalescing, the Velvet Underground are a band that are often called proto punk. And you can see why in some of their stuff, some of their stuff is kind of noisier and loud. But the main reason they're proto-punk is the visual aesthetic. It's because Malcolm McLaren, who created the Sex Pistols, was inspired by the fashion of Lou Reed. And that's something that I think there's something lost when you view genre as just a musical thing. Because And and it's not just fashion, but I think fashion is the one that is actually the closest tied to to musical genre and it's very much how even just on the street walking down the street i can tell by what somebody is wearing 
if they identify as a metalhead, if they identify as a hip-hop head. I guess nowadays it's harder to tell if someone identifies as a as a jazz fan. It's not like jazz fans yeah. walk around wearing fedoras everywhere, but... <laughs> they should go back to that. Uh, but yeah, no, there's also like like gesture too, right? Like if you think about the horns, like I, I can just say the horns and you yeah. know what physical gesture I'm referring to and you know what genre it refers to. Like it's so embedded in that culture. That's not in the music. That's not a thing that you write songs with the horns in them. Like, but like, it's still, I can't imagine going to a metal show and not seeing them, you know? And and I think in a lot of ways, or or even, yeah, yeah. I mean, similar to that, like, imagine trying to start a mosh pit at a jazz show, right? <laughs> and imagine going to a metal show and not expecting a mosh pit. Yeah. I mean, it depends what kind of jazz show. But... <laughs> imagine going to a Lamb of God show and expecting to sit quietly in the front row and, like, applaud after each song. <laughs> I think it's interesting because I think what we're talking about with the gestures and fashion and stuff like that shows another another function of genre that is it's a, a real it's a social function it's a it's something yeah. that serves a social utility outside of just kind of like finding music you like it serves as a as, as a way to find friends it serves as a way to find a community it serves as a way to and even often especially in things like metal and punk and things like that it serves as a way to find bandmates yeah there's there's a lot of social functions to genre that are often kind of ignored when we pretend that genre is just a classification system for music. Yeah, and this this may surprise you, but I did go to music school and when I was there, I, you know, they had these basically like performance classes. Oh, did you go with Ben Shapiro's dad? <laughs> I think we were there at different times. <laughs> uh, but but we had these like classes they were called live performance workshops or LPWs and they were basically like you had to do a certain number of them per quarter, but like they had a bunch of ones in different genres. And like the people that I hung out with outside of those classes, like in general, the people I would like, like go get a drink with the people I'd hang out with in the hall. Like they were the people who would go to the hard rock and metal LPWs a lot because that's where I was. And that's what I was interested in. And so partly we, we could bond over liking that music, but also like being the sort of person who liked that sort of music meant we probably had other things in common too. And so that was like most of my friends were people who listened to and enjoyed performing the same sorts of music that I did. Yeah, I think there's a real, I, I think that's something that is not talked about a lot because a lot of my friends too are are made over, like bonded over music. Like one of my best friends I met just, um, he was playing an open mic and played a bunch of songs that I liked. So I was like, hey, you you played a great set and and the friendship flourished from there. I think it's interesting because I think genre helps with that. But I also think there's a danger in being too set in genre and too pedantic with your with your Def Leppard don't count because then <laughs> you might be shutting yourself off to people that really do share a lot of interests with you, you know? Yeah. And that's sort of like the other main group of friends I had in college was the pe other people in the vocal department, regardless of what they did, because we were all in classes together too. And we also had those sorts of things to bond over. So like often like they would show me a song that I, I would never like be interested in, or they would invite me to their show and I would go like listen to the music they were singing. And it's like, this is not what I sing. This is not what I want to sing, but it's really cool. And I would have like missed out on it if I was only hanging out with the hard rock and metal kids. I think there's something dangerous about genre in that sense as well, because I remember when I was in high school, I was a rock snob. I thought pop music was terrible. I thought hip-hop music was terrible. I put so much value into being a rocker and, and liking rock music. And because of that, I mean, I'm lucky that I kind of came around eventually, but because of that, I was missing out on on so much of what music has to offer and not just these different things a lot of ways listening to jazz and listening to hip-hop change the way that i listen to rock i think that like even outside of genre people like attach a lot of value to their taste yeah and i think genre is a really really strong like sort of focal lens for that where you put it in front of you get this sort of like general like i am good at music i know what good music is and then you sort of like draw these lines that say these are the types of music. And when you sort of take those two things and put them together, you can get this really hyper focused beam if you're not careful that says like this type of music is the only good music and anyone who likes other types of music is 
bad. Yeah, has inferior taste. Yeah, he become Ben Shapiro, who I guess we're just going to dunk on all episode. I'm down. It's but, very uh, easy. It's very easy to dunk on. Yeah, I, I try not to too often, but like... Come, come on our podcast, Ben. We'll debate you about music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't want to debate Ben Shapiro about music. I think the, the question then is kind of looking at all of what we're talking about What's the place for genre right now, right now in our modern world? Also a world where, I mean, there are a lot of really intense divides between people. Can the dissolution of genre help people reach out and empathize more? Or is genre an important way to improve people's lives by helping them find music? What's wh What do you think kind of, and, and just generally with more and more genres mixing and falling apart what do you think about genre today what's its role i'm not sure that it's possible to dissolve the concept of genre i think that like to an extent genre is just a natural result of the human instinct to categorize right like yeah we we want things to fit into baskets and we want to have a sense of what those baskets are that's that's natural and i don't think it's ever going away but the thing that i hope we wind up seeing is less of an emphasis on using that sorting mechanism as a proxy for value judgment. Mm. And that's, I mean, I think that that's a, a central theme of a lot of my work. Like the video I just did on the canon is not directly about this, but that, that same sort of thing where it's like, it's it's fine to like group these things together. It's fine to view them as good because or it's fine to enjoy them, but using that as a way to sort of say like the stuff that's here is better than the stuff that's here, I think is more destructive than it is helpful. But one thing that I think has really turned around a lot of my view on genre as like a theoretical tool is the YouTube channel Soundfield. Uh, I don't know if you oh, yeah. watch them. The, the uh, PBS's music theory channel, they do like a lot of stuff about genre. Like they'll, they'll take a look and it's like, what is it that makes this sound country? Or like, what is what is the rhythm of trap? And like we, we talked about trap rhythms earlier, but what does that mean? And so like they're sort of taking that apart and... I, I was watching those and I was looking at those like, this is very clearly fundamentally dependent on genre, but it's also really interesting and insightful. And so that was, I think, one of the things when I was working on the original genre video, that was one of the main like complicating factors that made it really hard for me to like just come out with the, the stance that genre didn't matter was I was looking at this channel that like was doing some really interesting things with genre. And so I think you can do it. I think you can get a lot of really useful insight if you don't approach it as a proxy for value, right? Like that's I mean, fundamentally my, my view of all music theory is just like you can get a lot out of it if you don't view it as a way to measure quality because that's not what it does. That's not what it's for. And it, it just can't. I think as well as not viewing it as a proxy for value, I think it's also important to view genre as a fluid thing. And and uh, there's no, there's n not necessarily like I, I mean, I guess there are right and wrong with genres. Like, you're probably, like, you're probably, like, wrong if you call Beethoven punk. Um, well, <laughs> I mean, historically speaking. <laughs> a, a case that I'm always really fascinated with, a kind of case study in the fluidity of genre is, are Pink Floyd a progressive rock band? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've always thought of them as such, but, like... Now that you mentioned it, I'm sort of looking back and it's like, is that right? You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Know. Because cause on the one hand, I think in terms of a lot of the things they do, broad concept albums, extended instrumentals, things like that, that's very prog. Difficult time signatures and yeah. Well, but then the thing with the difficult time signatures is Pink Floyd actually don't tend to do that many difficult time signatures. They don't tend to do True. that many key changes within a song. Their music doesn't tend to have, I mean, their music is incredible. And again, this is a whole other a topic for a whole another day, but their music c complexity does not equal value, but their music isn't as complex as say King Crimson or yes, yeah. or porcupine tree or something like that. And, and then aesthetically, the question is, if Pink Floyd aren't a prog rock band, what are they? Because maybe a psychedelic rock band, maybe the last true psychedelic rock band before like Neo Psychedelia came up. And 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 again, like I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer to this. I just think it's a way that 
uh, it, it, Pink Floyd really demonstrates the way that these things are really subjective and it's fun. It's, it's totally fun if you're here for it to have conversations and debates as to whether X band is X genre or stuff like that. I really love those debates. I think they're really fun when you're, when you're aware that in the end, it doesn't actually really matter. So one thing that I've like really become aware of doing music theory is that like, if you have two competing explanations for something and you can make a strong case for either one, they're both right. It's fine. You don't need to decide. <laughs> right. So like you look at this as like, well, is Pink Floyd a prog rock band or are they a psychedelic rock band? And it's like they're both. Yeah, they're neither. They're whatever. They're in between. They're in like this. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And it's also like sort of it's weird. sort of Pink Floyd specifically. It's weird talking about like this is what Pink Floyd, the, the, the genre Pink Floyd falls into because, you know, this is like which album, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Are, are we talking The Wall? Are we talking Dark Side? Are we talking Wish You Were Here? They're all very different. Yeah. Are we talking Piper at the Gates of Dawn? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's just like, which of the Pink Floyd albums is the one that defines what their sound is like enough to categorize them into a specific compositional genre? I mean, that's, yeah, one of the arguments I think for counting them as a prog rock band is that, is that there's so much variety in what they do and they're constantly trying to do new things. But then, you know, is is that the same thing as sort of what King Crimson did or whatever? I don't know. Yeah. And I think that speaks to, again, your your Def Leppard thing where it's like you were talking about their stuff that was more new wave heavy metal. I think there's we have this idea of we categorize these artists in boxes as and, and there are some artists that kind of defy that. I mean, Bowie comes to mind where. Bowie yeah. pretty famously like changes his genre all the time. And, and I think it's interesting because I think it creates, I don't know, the, the dissonance. And it becomes challenging when you look at an, an artist like Taylor Swift, who now I would say is definitively a pop artist. There's there's no question, but she started sure. as a country artist. And does that mean that now she's not a country artist? Does that discount her first three albums? I don't I don't think so. Yeah, and it's like on the flip side of that, you have bands like um like ACDC, where this is like the famous quote by, I forget if it's Angus Young or one one of them, but it's just like, people say we've made the same album 13 times, but that's not fair. We've made it 14 times. <laughs> and it's just like, and there are bands like that where they just like, they have a sound, they love it, they just roll with it. Yeah. And that's fine too. But there's just like so many, so many different ways to approach this stuff and trying to nail down just like, like trying to nail down the ACDC sound is not hard, right? You know what it sounds yeah, like. Yeah. There's like two sort of sides of it, whether it's Bon Scott or I forget the name of the other singer, but you know. Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson. Yeah. There's like different voices, but everything else happening underneath them is still pretty similar. Like it, it, it developed, obviously, but like there's there's a clear sonic through line. Whereas if you look at like Taylor Swift, or you look at like Beyonce, like there's there's like a lot of different things that have a lot of different sounds that have come out of Beyonce's career. And so, like, how do you nail down, like, what kind of artist is she? And that's what I mentioned Beyonce, because there was the whole thing with, like, like, is Daddy's Lessons country music, right? Like, yeah. And, and you listen to it, and it's like, yeah, it, it, it sure sounds like it, but it was made by an R&B singer. So, like, I don't know. And I mean, I, I think it depends sort of how you're analyzing it. But I think the argument is there that if she wants it to count as a country song, it's a country song. Like, yeah. I'm not going to. Not trying to take that away from her. I want to be clear. Well, and I think that that also brings up. I mean, one of the one of the big questions. It's also a really good song. Oh my god, yeah. I mean, that whole album, um, phenomenal. One of the big questions about uh, of of last year. One of the big debates, which I mean, given the debates going on right now, it seems absolutely ludicrous that this was a huge debate last <laughs> summer. But the is Old Town Road country? Yeah. That actually was, was going on right as I released my genre video, and I wasn't aware of it yet. <laughs> it hadn't crossed my So, like, a bunch of people were asking, wait, why didn't you talk about Old Town Road? And it's like, why, did, why didn't I talk about what? <laughs> and I went and looked. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Whoops. This is a pointless debate. Yeah. I think the problem, one of the problems with genre comes in things like charts, where you suddenly are trying to force something that is pretty fluid and subjective into this hard and fast objective framework. And and then another thing too, actually, that is there's a lot of dialogue about right now is um in the Grammys, because historically, basically the Grammys, the difference between uh something being nominated for an R and B Grammy and something being nominated for a pop Grammy 
uh, unfortunately, tends to come down to the color of the skin of the performer. Yep. And that shows, I think that that example, like right now, I think it was Blinding Lights by The Weeknd was called an R&B song, which I don't think it is. Um, yeah. And, and I think that that shows some of the actual adverse effects of sticking to the dogma of genre is this is genre being used specifically to marginalize groups of people. And that is something, especially in America, black Americans historically have been regularly marginalized by genre. In the early days of popular music, the difference between a country record and a blues record the only difference was the skin color of the performer. Yeah, there's literally a genre called race music for a really long time. Well, like, and and that genre eventually evolved into R&B, which is still being used to marginalize. Yep. And especially because, unfortunately, in the awards, there's a kind of different level of prestige to winning best R&B album compared to best pop album. These are the very kind of real impacts of sticking to dogmatic views on genre. I mean, to, to go off on a slight tangent, it's I think one of the problems I have with like charts as a thing. It's just like, you know, like measuring sales figures or whatever is not inherently a bad thing to do. But again, we come down to this thing where you've taken this metric and used it as a proxy for quality. Yeah. In a way that is like because like if, if if the album is selling really well, that's great. Congratulations to the artist. And like I have no problem with people reporting that. But it's just you take it and say like this is the best song or best album that's out right now or that's whatever. Or it's the most popular as a thing that it's, it gives you this sort of feedback effect of like, oh, it's at the top of the charts. I really need to check it out, which I think you get less these days uh, than you used to. I don't think as many people pay as much attention to the charts, but you still see that with like radio and whatever, where like. What plays on the radio is like a lot of stuff that's been topping the charts recently, especially more like pop music stations and stuff. And I think that also plays into like like there's this perception that I always fight against and I always hate where people are like, well, rock is dead. And it's like, no, it's just not on the charts. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. And there's a whole separate rock chart, too. There's like it's plenty of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like there, there is there is so much good rock music. And yeah. Yeah, it doesn't get the play on top 40 radio like it used to, but that's no that's no indicator of the death of rock or and that's not even I I don't even think that's really an indicator that it doesn't have cultural power. I think rock as a no. genre or as a movement still has a lot of cultural power um as does punk, as do a lot of things. I think charts are again a, a battleground where where genre gets really it it just gets really weird when things are put on genre charts and sometimes sometimes you'll see something that's like i don't know topped on uh a, a certain kind of chart and you're like wait what what the hell is that what is what do you mean that's a i don't know what do you mean that's that's a hip hop song what do you mean that's a rock song i'd also say on the rock is dead thing like when we say that part of that is you know like rock isn't topping the charts but the other part of that is I think the increasing canonization of rock, right? Like when you think of the best rock bands who've ever played, like if you run down a list, most of them were working in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Right? Like there's this like crystallized idea of that's what rock is. And so we look at like rock is dead and it's like, no, rock evolved, right? Rock, there's plenty of rock musicians out there still making great stuff. They just don't sound like Led Zeppelin anymore because we don't need someone else to sound unless they're Greta Van Fleet. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll, I'll concede the point, but but it's just like we don't need Greta Van Fleet. <laughs> yeah, we don't need Greta Van Fleet. No, I've <laughs> But uh but no, I've nothing wrong with Greta Van yeah, Fleet. Yeah. I want to be clear in case Greta Van Fleet is listening. Yeah, yeah. No offense, but it's just like we don't need our entire conception of rock to be based on like what Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix and Pink Floyd were doing. Because we can base it on what modern rock musicians are yeah. doing. We have people who are innovating in the style today. And so like when people say rock is dead, I think part of what they mean is it's not topping the charts, but part of what they mean is it's not what I want rock to have always been. Which again, like I, I think we go back to the sixties and seventies, but that's not the beginning of rock either, right? Yeah. Like there's there's clearly established rock artists before that. And, you know, maybe we'll throw in like the occasion like, oh, Elvis existed and we'll never talk about Little Richard. But like, you know, we, we get these like 
ideas that this is what rock is and just like what's really interesting is like at the start of the 50 or at the start of the 60s know what people were saying about rock people were saying rock is yeah. dead that's the day the music died El elvis got conscripted buddy holly died little richard went off to do gospel music people were saying like rock and roll is past like it was good, but now it's past. Again, there's this historical event that's the day the music died. Yeah. As when yeah. Buddy Holly's plane went down, it's like, that's it. Rock is done. And here we are, like, 60 years later. Yeah. It's like, nah, I think you're a little preemptive. That mentality is, I have a big problem with the movie La La Land because it takes that approach to jazz. The whole thing with La La Land is that Ryan Gosling's character is like, nobody likes jazz anymore. Jazz is dead. And it's like... Well, no, like bebop and hard bop maybe are like not really as big as they once were. But to say jazz is dead the same year that that movie comes out the same year Kendrick Lamar releases to pimp a butterfly that, that <laughs> like to say jazz is in the dead living in a world with Robert Glasper, Kamasi Washington, King Shabaka, like like it's so it's so just the jazz, that specific movement of jazz is no longer needed, as you said. It's just like what I wanted jazz to always be yeah. is dead. And it's like, yeah, yeah, probably. Like, it's going to be a long time before we find the next John Coltrane. But like, <laughs> it's fine. We still have the original John. Well, we don't have you. We have his recordings. He's not yeah. alive. I'm not claiming that. But like. But we, we can listen to John Coltrane records. He's living on an island with Elvis and Tupac. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like all of these, all of these like artists, like especially once you get past the like the age of recording, right? Like when we go back, like yeah, when we talk about like classical music, or we go really far back. It's just like yeah, you know, maybe there's if it, if symphonies didn't still program like exclusively dead white German men, like <laughs> yeah, then we could argue it's like okay, well, we, if we don't have like people playing Beethoven and we don't find in, like new people writing that music, we won't have like this music anymore, which is, you know, part of the argument that like symphonies make for continuing to program Beethoven and weirdly never make about continuing to program like Clara Schumann, Fanny Mendelssohn, Florence Price, William Grant Still. We have no particular reason they don't program those. It's fine. Uh, but like all of these artists who came out after recording technology and who are known mostly for recordings, which is less true for jazz. I should be clear on that point because, you know, jazz is improvisational yeah. at its core. And so like a recording of John Coltrane is not the same as being in the room with John Coltrane. Right. And that's, that's true of a rock band too, right? Like the recording of Pink Floyd is not the same as going to a Pink Floyd show, but like we still have that music and we can go listen to these recordings of like Coltrane. We can go listen to giant steps anytime we want. Like we have the recordings and we can go listen to the wall and we may not be there in concert, but we have the music. Yeah. And that's, I think, so go back. It's sort of an, an interesting sort of lens to look at the thing we were talking about with sort of like how like a genre isn't just the music. It is also these other cultural components is that because over time, the music of a specific genre gets crystallized in that way. Like not necessarily like rock as a genre, but like seventies rock is crystallized, right? Like there's no, yeah, there's no innovating in the field of rock that was made in the 70s anymore for <laughs> some reason. Uh, but like, just wait till time machines are invented. <laughs> I was going to say give it time, but that felt like too a little too on the nose. Uh, but like you sort of as as that music becomes crystallized, it starts to dissociate from those cultural elements, right? Like you can't experience the culture of going to one of the early performances of The Wall, right? Like you, the, Roger Waters was touring with a thing at one point, but you know what I mean. I think what's really interesting is, in my mind, especially seventies rock, an, a cultural aspect of seventies rock that has that I, in my mind, is distinctly like seventies rock, but has been like appropriated and and taken into other genres is the idea of the rock star, because most musicians now are model for a successful musician is the seventies rock star. It is like glamour huge concerts big extravagant spectacles larger larger than life personalities all of that that is something that is was born out of 70s rock and has been adopted and i think it's a good thing that it's been adopted into all of these other genres and that is something that is still that is distinctly rock 
that has that still exists and thrives in the mainstream. But there's also like the flip side of that, which is sort of like, for lack of a better word, what I'll call the grunge star, right? Yes. Like yep. when you think of those like those people who who so explicitly aren't that. Yeah. Who like very clear, like they're they're down to earth. They're just like they're sitting on a stool playing a thing. And they they may be playing great music, but they're not trying to be they're like like Jimi Hendrix with like the shiny suit and the tassels and all that. Yeah. And it's sort of like and again, nothing wrong with that. I'm not not saying anything bad about either approach, but it's sort of like we're never saying anything bad about anything ever except yeah, ben no, Shapiro. I've never said except Ben Shapiro. <laughs> we did say some bad things about him earlier this episode, and I stand by those. Uh, <laughs> but like, I think it's sort of like have I can't think of that many people who don't exist on or that many artists who don't exist on one of those extremes. Yeah, like maybe sort of like Ed Sheeran feels like he straddles that line a bit, but like. Like most people are either like sort of that like huge, like greatest showman type thing or that like really stripped back, like like down to earth, Kurt Cobain style. Like I showed up in like a flannel and jeans and just going to sit here, play my guitar and sing some cool music. And so like you have those two main vibes, but they sort of like they both sort of revolve around that sort of rock star image because the other is like it's not just not doing that thing. It's actively rejecting that thing. And if you yeah, it's so it's still sort of engaging with it. We're, we're, I think we're getting near the end here, but there's one more thought that I need to get in here about genre before we go, which is the dumbest genre, not in the music, but just in, <laughs> in the classification system. And I think this is a terrible and harmful classification system I have a guess. under the guise of genre is world music. Oh, that was not my guess, but that is a better answer. What, what was your guess? I was going to talk about metal and ah, like and the intense subgenrefication, but anyway, yeah, no, like yeah, world music is not a genre. World music no. is uh, incredibly problematic. I don't think we need to talk about it at length. I think it's pretty self-evident why like Fela Kuti isn't the same as like Celtic fiddling. Um, but yeah. but I think I think that's a that's a quote unquote genre that is literally just defined by racism xenophobia yeah. like yeah a lack of cultural understanding sort of falls under the similar thing to what we were talking about with like race music uh earlier yes. where it's just like where it was just there as a way to say like this isn't white people yeah and when you look at like some some world music is white people like but like most of it is not like most of it is still like like you were saying celtic fiddling but like most yeah. of it is like we're gonna take Everything that comes out of the entire continent of Africa, smash it into the entire continent of Asia, smash it into South and Central Americas, uh, borrow some of the weird Europe's and then like just dump that and like indigenous folks in like uh, in North America and Australia and like, like all these different cultures and just be like, well, these these aren't the normal white people music. So yeah, world music. Let's go. Yeah, let's let's gawk at these strange and foreign peoples making strange music. It is. I, I think it's a really. I think it's the most kind of extreme example today. I think race records fit in with that too. But one yeah. of the most extreme examples today of the harm that can happen when you look at the wrong things to qualify a genre. When you look at the wrong aspects and and say this is what they all have in common, it's like, I mean, yeah, these these do have like world music does have in common that it doesn't tend to fit within their traditional Western European frameworks. That is not much to have in common. Yeah. That's that's like that's like putting all music that has a drum beat behind it and calling it drum music. And I do want to be like really explicit on this point because i i'm not saying that you said this and i don't think yeah. anyone necessarily heard this but i want to be 100% clear here there is a lot of really good music that falls under the umbrella category of world oh, music oh absolutely right? like no one neither of us is saying there isn't the problem is that we're t- j- bundling it all together and i think i think you're actually doing harm to that good music by bundling it all together and Completely calling agree. it world music yeah and the flip side of that is like and this this is sort of more in the academic side of things, but like when we talk about like when you and I talk about like classical music or when when we casually use the word classical music, we're actually talking about like a lot of different movements but yeah. that gets sort of lumped together. But technically speaking, if you want to get like 
academic historical on the stuff. Like classical music is music from the classical period, which is sort of roughly ish the second half of the 18th century. Don't don't quote me on those exact dates, but in in that ballpark and sort of like the part like after the Baroque and the Gallant and before the Romantic and all that. And so like when academics want to be specific and like make it clear that they're not just talking about classical music, but they're talking about that whole umbrella of like Western aristocratic music. The term that gets used more often than not is art music. Whoa. And that is just, I hate it. That's going to be so a yikes much. from me. Yeah, it's just like, because that's certain that music is art. But like, all music is what, art? What, what, about, what about all the other music? <laughs> like, all music is art music, and all music is world music. Except, yeah. I, I guess when Chris Hadfield sang Space Oddity in the space station, that was not yeah. world music. Yeah, it was world <laughs> adjacent music. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like, I think like, to, to to talk about like art music a bit more because I have so many opinions and so many feelings about it, but it's just like there's not really a great term, and it's one of the reasons that I use classical music is because I don't care about the distinction between yeah. the classical and the I I care I know that it's fine it's not that relevant to me but like like if you want to like talk about those like there's other things that people have like pushed for like symphonic music as a way of saying like you know it's it's not it's for symphonies but then that ignores all the like the, the piano stuff like a lot of people did solo piano music yeah. and solo harpsichord music and it's not symphonic like bach a lot of his stuff wasn't symphonic but the other thing that like you get is that way people will justify the art music label by trying to argue that it's just like well yeah but it's art music not because the other music isn't art not because it doesn't take skill not because there's not beauty to it but because it's made for commercial reasons and like <laughs> What what do you think Bach was doing? Yeah. What, what what do you what do you think like what do you think Beethoven was doing? They they were like they they were making music to sell. <laughs> yeah, Mozart went on giant tours. Like <laughs> Yeah, no, this is like it's like it's such an ahistorical view of the world that allows him to make that justification. There's this like Also like, yeah, Captain Beefheart was definitely making his music because he knew it would sell well. Yeah, like, no, it's just like famous pop star Captain Beefheart. Yeah. The arbitrary distinction of that, I hate stuff like that where people get pedantic because it's like, when I say classical music to the average person, they don't know the difference between Baroque, Romantic, all of that. They put all of it together. And so that's what it means. That's what, yeah. like, there's no words just mean what, like, we understand them to mean. It's one of those things where you look at it, it's like, maybe we should just rename the classical period. We can yeah. do that. We can yeah. call it a different thing. <laughs> call it the art period. <laughs> There's like some people who are like trying to be sensitive about it too. will be like, all right, look, well, we have to like, that's the only term we have, but we'll call it Western art music to make it clear. We're not trying to exclude like, you know, Indian music or Chinese music. And it's just like, well, yeah, but what does that say about the other Western music still? Like, what does that say yeah. about hip hop? Yeah. What does that say about rock? Like. You can't just like, I don't know. It, it's just, it's a thing that has bugged me for a long time. And when you were talking about world music, it just like brought up a lot of that as sort of like the juxtaposition yeah. where we have like, you know, the music of the world. And then we have the music that is art. And it's just like, well, but, um, <laughs> hold up. <laughs> I, th I think on that thought we've, uh, I mean, I could keep going on this cause I've got other, other genre stuff I would ramble on, but, but I think we've, we've run long enough. We've assaulted your ears for long enough. <laughs> Um, do you have any final thoughts you want to get in, Corey? Just going to go with music is good again. I'm going to go with genre is a lie. Um, <laughs> and, and you're wrong for liking genres that I don't. Oh, and Def Leppard is new wave of British heavy metal. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And we wanted to um, say that if you guys have any topics that you would like to hear us talk about we we can't we can't guarantee uh that we'll get to yeah, them we're only doing one a month yeah but you can absolutely send them in we'd love to love to hear what you guys would want to get our takes on you can tweet <laughs> at us at ghost notes show yes it's either that or ghost notes pod i think it's ghost notes show it's ghost notes show yeah so so cool. you can tweet at us there and yeah other than that uh where can people find you Corey? Uh, so you can find me at youtube.com slash 12 tone videos. You can also find me at twitter.com slash 12 tone videos. Those are the two main platforms that I actually check. 
Uh, you're, you're more likely to get a response on Twitter, if I'm being honest. YouTube comment sections are a drag. So yeah, you check me out on those. Same here. You can check me out on YouTube at Polyphonic. And you can also uh, check me out on Twitter at Watch Polyphonic and um, tell me why I was wrong about genre. All the reasons. You can also, we should probably say in case you're listening to this after it goes public, Nebula is pretty great. So like the new episodes go up there a month early. So when you're listening to this, there will be a new one already. uh, If you want to check that out and you can find that in descriptions for a lot of our videos or just go to like watchnebula.com. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, uh, that's a great point. And, and also just, just send us any thoughts. We'd, we'd love to hear what you think of the podcast. If you think we're, if we, you think we're wasting our and your time or not. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Bye guys.